Desolation Matapusit Podcast. Hello, you are listening to episode three of the Salacious Platypus Podcast. Our guest this week is former astronomy professor J. Craig Wheeler. But first, here is a quick update on my quest to get a meeting with my state representative as a constituent. I heard back from Representative Bernal's office this past week. They gave me a date and some times. Unfortunately, that is the only day this month that I'm unavailable. So I responded and I'm hoping to set up a new date and time. I'll keep you updated on that. I also heard back from Representative Barbara Gervin Hawkins' office. She's not my state representative, but she represents the district right next to me. So I'm trying to get her to talk with us. I will keep you updated on that. Our guest today is my former astronomy professor when I was an undergrad at UT in Austin. Professor Wheeler was brilliant. It was fascinating. Every time I went into his astronomy class, he just blew my brain. It was He's just really smart and he talked about all these different theories and concepts about the universe and he completely changed my perspective on the universe and my place in it. Professor Wheeler is a Samuel T. and Fern Yanagisawa Regents Professor of Astronomy Emeritus and University of Texas System Distinguished Teaching Professor Emeritus, and he was the president of the American Astronomical Society from 2006 to 2008. He has written nearly 400 referenced scientific papers. He also is the author of a few books. One of them is called Supernova Explosions, One of them is called Cosmic Catastrophes, Exploding Stars, Black Holes, and Mapping the Universe. And there's also a book series. First one is called The Crone Experiment, and the sequel is Crone Ascending. You can find the links to those books in the description box. Professor Wheeler has also consulted extensively with the National Science Foundation and NASA, and He served on the Space Studies Board of the National Academy of Science. I would like to apologize for the sound quality at the beginning of the episode. It's going to be a little staticky for a while, but it does get better. I also want to mention that you're going to hear Professor Wheeler and I say the term representative reinforcement. It's actually representation reinforcement, and that term comes from a book called Democracy and Distrust, a theory of judicial review by John Hart Eli. That theory is a far more complicated theory than my quick skeletal outline breakdown of the Supreme Court interprets the laws, our representatives make the laws, And if we don't like the laws that our representatives are making, we pick new representatives. So my focus was on the representatives, but the far more complicated theory, if you'd like to look into it, is from Democracy and Distrust by John Hart Eli. Here is our conversation with Professor J. Craig Wheeler. I hope you enjoy it. Our sponsor today is the Aristocrat Lounge, located at 6507 Burnett Road in Austin, Texas. 
stop by for a fancy cocktail like a frozen bastard or a dank meme sour. You can also get draft beer and cocktails. You can get a pineapple jalapeno paloma on tap along with your electric jellyfish hazy IPA draft. They also have cool merch. They have this really cute pool dog shirt that says the end is near. Drink like you can afford to. It's great. <laughs> it's really cute and my birthday is next month if you're looking to get me a present. Their website is aristocratloungeatx.com and if you stop by before 7 it's happy hour every day until 7 p.m. The Aristocrat Lounge. Drink like you can afford to. Hello, uh, we are here today with Professor Jay Craig Wheeler, who's Professor of Astronomy at UT Austin. Hello, Professor Wheeler. Hello, good to How see you. How are you today? I'm wonderful, thank you very much. Thank you very much for being here and talking with us today. Yeah, interested in having this conversation. All right, so let's uh, introduce you to the people who don't know anything about you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your job and what you do? Okay, well, I, I am now just to string it all out. I'm the Samuel T. and Fern Yanagasawa Regents Professor of Astronomy Emeritus. So I retired okay. in 2019 just before COVID hit. It oh, okay. Out. But I'm a workaholic and I'm still active and writing the, some books and, and working on research papers. Uh, I was at UT for 46 years from okay. 1974. And uh, taught a variety of classes, including the one that you took. Lives and Deserts of Stars. Right, it was right, awesome. It was right. amazing. It I was, loved it. It was a lot of fun to teach. And then the last uh, five years before I retired, uh, and it's a sort of a long shaggy dog story of how I got into it, but decided it was possible and interesting to teach a course on the future of uh, technological future of humanity. And okay. so this this is another. So I was still partly doing the Lives and Deaths of Stars and did this one as well. But I taught that for five years and it was really interesting uh, of delving into things that I knew a little bit about, going in deeper. And uh, after doing that for five years and then retiring, uh, ended up uh, sort of fishing for agents and got one who was interested not in the book that I pitched, but in this one. So I been writing on this one for a couple of years and it's uh, the draft is finished uh, we're oh, wow. uh, close to sending it to a, a publisher but not quite there yet so, okay awesome. so the ideas are kind of in my head but I don't have a product it, it is nominally yeah. called brains genes and the universe the future of humanity okay and, uh, that with, sounds with, really with cool. brains being both our, our real brains and how we're learning to emulate them and our artificial brains, artificial intelligence, and where okay. all that is leading to us. Like a neural kind of thing? And with the, with the genes is we're at a point where we might be able to, to affect our own evolution. Uh, a very heavy thing for a species to do. And, yeah. And where, where might all that lead? And so that's, a, that's a fascinating topic. It has yeah. rather little to do with astronomy. But okay. I put it in the context here we are in a universe, five billion year old planet. We've evolved on this planet. Here we are now where we have all this technology. Yeah. Uh, where, where is that apt to lead? No. So that that's, sounds that's really interesting. That's kind of where I am with that. Yeah. So in your 
book, um, how are you touching on the subject of representative reinforcement? Aha, that's a great question. And the answer is I didn't know I was <laughs> until I got this invitation and, and could, uh, understood what you, what you meant by that. And it turns out I was in the sense that I've got a whole bunch of chapters and I got a final chapter where I do various things. Uh, but I thought I should try to say something about, well, if you're an interested human being and where all this is going, what should you do about it? Mm -hmm. And I think I mentioned it in an email. I, I thought it was a little bit lame, but one of the things I thought about was trying to uh, understand your representatives and you know voting for people who would care about these issues yeah so I really was advocating for uh, uh, representative reinforcement uh, reinforcement yeah thank you yeah. Uh, w without quite knowing that phrase but it, it mm -hmm. uh, and, and given your project now it, it encourages you to think that well maybe I wasn't so far off the mark I, there, there's not a whole bunch an individual can do but under democracy that is the way we do things you try to work through your representatives so, yeah and we, we can talk some more about how effective that might be but it is sort of the venue by which we do things like this so, so have you personally ever reached out to one of your representatives to talk about an issue or just even to like to see what their office can do for you just as a constituent have you ever reached um, out I, I have but it was mostly in my role as an astronomer okay i was president of the american astronomical society our professional society for a while and there are certain obligations to talk to you know your representatives and things there would be a, okay. a, a day in washington where we would go and talk to them and and occasionally the society would send out requests there's a bill before the Senate. Would you please write your senators? So I've done okay. that a handful of times. Um, one of our senators, I think, always got back to me two or three times. The other one didn't reply at all. Oh, okay. I'll let you guess which one was which. <laughs> um, I, I did stop into my representative's office once. I'm tapping on it. Um, had an office in Westlake and dropped something off and I don't remember what it was now so I've made sort of fitful attempts but not really worked at it particularly I certainly had okay. you know so lobbying on behalf of astronomy is one thing lobbying on some personal issue I just haven't done that okay what why do you think because I have never reached out to my representatives before um, before I was in law school I didn't even know like the names of my representatives. I feel guilty saying this because I really should have been paying more attention. Typically what I would do is just vote straight down party line when I was going to an election because obviously I didn't want to vote for the other party so I'll just vote for everyone on this and I feel like that isn't really working out now because I'm not really happy with the people that are in power and like what they're doing and what I learned in law school was that if I'm not happy with the laws that my representatives are making then my only recourse really is to pick new representatives, right? And so if everybody is paying attention to who their representatives are and the legislation that they're working on, we can like hold them more accountable. I don't know. I just 
lost track of my yeah, head. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the holding them accountable is, is kind of the tricky part. I mean, yeah. you, can, you can go try to talk to them in their offices. If you, if you go to, in Washington and you try to talk to them in their offices, random person, even an, an official of a, a professional society, you're going to talk to an aide. You're, you're not going to see the big chief themselves. Although yeah. I, I ran into Kay Bailey Hutchison a couple of times, um, a, again with kind of my official hat on her. I don't think she would have said boo to me. Did you have positive interactions? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, at first I sort of thought so, but the, the society kind of set me up on this one. And they said, well, there is this, there's, there's this recommendation to increase it wasn't just increased funding for astronomy. It was a little more subtle than that. But they told me it, the initiative came from Senator Cornyn. So while I was talking to her, I said, I hope you will support that initiative of Senator Corwin's. And she says, that's my initiative. Oh. And I thought, <laughs> oh. I felt a little burned on that one. Uh, and she long since forgotten who I am of course I'm not worried about it <laughs> I was a little embarrassing that we, I know I you know they were trying to prep me I should have been prepped better than that why do you think people don't reach out do you think it's just because like they think they're not gonna listen well it's probably a mix of things I mean all of us are you know very busy doing our own yeah. things and trying to keep our heads above water yeah and, and so the idea that you would that you had something that that you felt strongly enough about to do that some people are wired that way I mean, they write to their newspaper they write to their congressman they write to whoever all the time uh, many of us just don't have that mindset somehow uh, but even if you kind of have that mindset then there is a question in which you're kind of raising is you know how, how effective does that have to be so you're saying you know you've got a representative now who uh, is not representing you the way you want to be represented yeah. what, what are your recourses and, and one might be to try to meet with them and lobby them and mm -hmm. suggest there are other ways of thinking about it yeah. and, and you know for certain representatives we can anticipate how effective that's going to be yeah or, or you try to vote them out of office yeah and uh, I, you know that is the way democracy works. But it, it, in that in that context, it is it is hard to get rid of representatives that you don't want. Um, we we've just seen a slate of people that I didn't favor in various states where you kind of watch what's going on, and they yeah. got reelected, even though from my point of view they're you know barely more than idiots. But, <laughs> But they get reelected, and and, yeah. and then part of it, I, I just I've been reading recently that that, that uh, our, our our system, which which you know has a separate president, the judiciary, and, and the Congress, was set up that way in the Constitution, and that's the way we function. And there's a lot of strengths to that, mm -hmm. but it has ended up with you you can have pockets of voters who influence the primaries that set things up so by the time you get to the the broader election that it's already wired and there's not much you can do about it and i don't know what to do about that there's a particular article i was reading said mm -hmm. well it, it turns out that that there are arguments that a parliamentary system is actually better for making things happen 
because you've got the prime minister is in office because he's the head of the party that won the elections, and so they they own the legislative process at that point. So the, and then the, they can the, make le the leadership happen. and the make laws happen are more integrated in the parliamentary yeah. system. And I had never quite thought about that before. But there's a lot to be said for our system as well. But but trying to work within our primary system where people you might not want to have elected are already kind of wired in is, is a particular problem. I, I yeah. did once, and I've read about other people. I voted in a so you said you wouldn't do this and vote a straight line. I voted in a Republican primary because there were two people. One I thought was just completely off the wall, and one was a reasonably you know, conservative, moderate conservative Republican mm. for some office. Maybe it was the education board. I, I don't quite remember. But I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to vote on the Republican side and vote for the reasonable Republican against this Yahoo. And I don't okay. remember how it came out. Yeah. But then I would get Republican literature that for years <laughs> later, so you pay, you pay a price. For, you know, yeah. no, no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> um, but I'm sure I'm not the only one that's, that's thought of doing that. But I, I did never do it again because <laughs> you get a lot of yeah. Republican literature. Yeah, I just confess where my slants are. I, I, I am, <laughs> I, you know, if I, I say things, may sound like I'm a complete wild-haired liberal. I, I'm a pretty conservative, liberal thinking. I, I'm, okay. you know, given that I'm kind of on that side of it, I'm <laughs> pretty conservative, actually, okay. compared to people who are very extreme about it. But, yeah. And so, you know, I could, I could understand what I thought of as Republicans as I grew up. I disagreed with them on some things, but, you know, there were some reasonable ones out there. And, and it's got so crazy recently yeah. that it's a, it's a different kettle of fish. Yeah, I feel uh, like I can't really go by, like, party lines anymore. I, 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 it just, I feel like I just need to know more about... The, the rep and like their history instead of just going by oh they're in this party or that party like I feel like that is that isn't really working anymore so I need to do something different because I mean just like for me personally like I'm not happy with the outcome I guess of what's going on recently I don't know I just feel like I got to do something, Professor Wheeler. I don't know what to yeah, do, so no, I'm just starting enough. with the conversation. Well, let's you, just you talk, talk it about out. <laughs> um, yeah, I, let's get I, some ideas I, going. Like, what, know, what from, can from my yeah. position of age and wisdom, I think you're doing the right thing. You need to think about it a bit more than just blindly picking a ticket. I, yeah. I, uh, that won't get us out of all of these dilemmas, but it, it requires some thinking. Yeah. I, I guess another thing on my mind in this, in this context of, of trying to influence the system and, and here, I'm trying to think about how would I influence the political system to tackle some of these problems I see coming down, the, let's call them issues rather than problems, okay. coming down the pike in terms of technology. Mm -hmm. and, and then you back off and think, yeah, and how well did that work for gun control? And yeah, and how well did that work for climate change? So you have these entrenched positions that are just very hard to get out of them. And, and replacing representatives, reinforcing your representatives is certainly a way to do it. Yeah. Um, but how to implement that effectively is a different question. So, yeah. So, you know, I, and so can I get my local representative, you know, I, I have the state representative I think is on 
I'm on her side, she's on my side on a lot of things. My representative to Congress is probably not. Okay. My senators yeah. are not. Hey, Phillips, uh, but trying to get rid of them by voting them out of office here in this rather conservative state, you know, you do what you can. But trying yeah. to convince them that, you know, you ought to do this on gun control, uh, you ought to pay attention to climate change. And, and then say, once you've got those things solved, then you should worry about the future of artificial intelligence because it could get us into some real cul-de-sacs if we're not careful. And that's clearly a reach. But, it's, think but I think it's kind of, it, it, it's the zeroth order thing. You've you got to at least start thinking in that direction. And it, it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. So... Did you hear about, this is kind of a weird thing, but there was this thing called the Constitution Dow where a, a bunch of people came together to buy the con, a copy of the Constitution. So they were able to raise like $43 million in like one week through like um, this, what's a Dow? Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And I thought like it would be, so I know we have like a representative democracy, but like what if we had like, if every citizen had like a governance token and you could just use that token to like vote for like what kind of legislation you want your representative, like how do the representatives even know like what I want them to be legislating on? Like I don't remember getting a poll from my representative to say, hey, do you want me to work on this legislation or this kind of legislation? Like how do they know? Like what if we had like a constitution DAO type thing where we all get like a little one, each each citizen in your district gets one token and we say like, hey, I want you to work on this kind of legislation or I want you to work on this kind of legislation. Like that would be, it seems like it would be like really cool to, easy to implement and kind of a easy way to get a gauge of what your district wants you to be doing, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't want to be overly cynical with you, but <laughs> they don't care. They oh, care about yeah. who donated to them and See, that's things what my like uncle that. told me, that they don't care what we well, say, and that makes but, me really sad. But, but they do. I mean, the system, so there, there are issues like that that are, that are real issues, but overall, our system has worked pretty well for 200 some odd years, so I, it's not mm -hmm. that one should be completely pessimistic about it. Um, well, let me, so maybe yes. But let me extend that just to, in terms of sort of where things might go in terms of democracy and, okay. and what artificial intelligence might do to it. So it, it turns out, I have read, that if, if you push the like button, excuse me, if you push the like button on Facebook, for random things that you like 200 times that they know you better than you know yourself because they analyze all that and what other mm -hmm. like buttons people have pushed and they run neural networks on it and all these artificial intelligence things yeah and, and then they uh, they you know sort of social media in general but facebook and, and uh, google in particular will then try to use that to influence you to yeah. buy things, buy ads, click on this. So it's 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 mm -hmm. absolutely a deliberate attempt at social engineering and and behavior modification. So that's that's already pretty scary. Yeah. And and we saw what happened in the 2016 election when there was lots of misinformation spread. That's a new thing with social media that is clearly not 
conducive to democracy. So we, you know, it, it's a big issue, and people are thinking about it. They haven't solved it yet. But but if you take this capacity to this number of clicks, and you can then learn somebody, uh, the, the issue that I rose in the book, and I will probably get laughed out of the publishing world for this. Um, if, if that is true, then why don't you have this artificial intelligence vote for you? Because they've seen what you're like, they see what you want, <laughs> okay. they see how you react, they see who your friends are, they know you very well, mm-hmm. and, and your artificial intelligence won't decide you're too busy to vote on a Tuesday. Take all you know, the legwork. They, won't, they won't get sick, you know, they, they will just cast your vote for you. That's so very interesting. You, you don't need to push your button and tell your representative <laughs> what you want, that the system already knows you. Well, yeah, so, well, why, why do we even need to be alive anymore then? Just have all the AI do Yeah, right? well, this, <laughs> but it would this be is really why cool. this course that I taught was a little disturbing <laughs> in places. Yeah, so, but that so would that, be really that's cool. That's what, I mean, well, you know, I do don't want to see it go me. that way, but in thinking, you know, where is the technology going from where we are now, that was one of the things that occurred to me. That's um, kind of fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I'm very lazy, and if somebody, if there was like a computer program that could do all the research for me and be like, oh, you would like this candidate over this candidate, like, that would be great. I feel like that would be really great. <laughs> um, well, think about that. Yo, maybe people would say, this is exactly what I want. I want something I can trust, mm-hmm. who knows me, and will follow my lead, and interesting. You know, vote for candidates I want, and vote against candidates I don't want, and it, it's yeah. all taken care of. So maybe you find that a good idea. I, do. I, I, I find it a little uh, <laughs> intimidating. Yeah, I mean, you can see that. And, and then just extrapolating that properly, well, okay, once you once you have that, you know, sort of why have votes at all? Why don't you just why don't you just have the AI just have constantly it. monitoring the body politic oh. and making decisions? You don't have to have a vote every four years. You can have a vote every four microseconds and decide you know, <laughs> what collectively people want. Which again, I don't think that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it's where all this automation and and the depth of understanding that comes out of that technology might point in that direction. So I'm deliberately yeah. being extreme about it, but I think mm-hmm. you have to think those thoughts to kind of see where things are going before you can go back and say, okay, what do we need to uh, limit? What do we need to regulate? What do we need to say, you know, just don't go there. And, uh, yeah. So how, how you convince a representative to read my book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, that I don't know. That I don't know. Whether well, there's so many other issues to worry about. So I took a online legislature course when I was in law school. Did you? Uh-huh. Uh, a couple of years ago. And so we had some senators and representatives from the House of, from Texas talk to us. And we I got to ask them questions. And one thing that really kind of bothered me that I still think about was one of the representatives I think he was a rep I don't think he was a senator I think he was a representative said that like when he gets I was asking about like the constituent contact when he gets in like a 
influx of like form letters for some petition petition that a whole like he gets like 500 emails all at once about one subject he said he ignores that because it's like real easy to just click a link and send an email so that he thinks that it's not really important to those people but the people who are like writing him individual letters yeah. about a problem that they have he pays attention to that and I was kind of conflicted like it kind of bothers me because if there's like 500 people writing to you about an issue that means it's important to 500 people but you're not going to pay attention to that you're just going to pay attention to this one person's issue so that kind of bothered me so like maybe just if 500 people instead of sending the same form letter were sending in individual letters and he would pay attention so maybe people should just stop sending in form letters and just write your own individually letter individually worded letter to your representative and try to talk to them and get to know them that that is probably better but you're asking a lot of people to sit down and actually compose something on their own and if their passions yeah. are high they might do that but so in, in professional situations where i've been requested to write something there they will often send out a a, a form letter and say mm -hmm. please modify this on your own so yeah. there's sort of a halfway in between point there as well yeah but uh, but no i've read exactly that that, that one well-crafted letter can do more than a bunch of cloned emails which are easy to recognize but, yeah but yep so it's another another issue we didn't quite touch on because i couldn't quite figure out how to get it in but just in terms of picking your representatives but something that we're we're suffering from now is uh, gerrymandering yes and so for a long time i knew who my house of representatives was was lloyd doggett mm -hmm. and and then you know the system got together and said okay we're going to divide austin up into these little needles that come <coughs> out of far east or far west and they carve up doggett's area and so he's not my congressman anymore which is part of the reason why i don't know who my current congressman is uh, I've, yeah. I've been gerrymandered into him so that that's just part of the system again i don't know what to, to do about that yeah um, I've, i feel like um so there's one party that even though they'll have the right like they have to overcome like because of gerrymandering if one party has like so many votes the other one has to overcome by so much more just to make it even like it, i know it just seems like this really yeah, complicated but, but, unfair but now thing. they have computer codes now whether it's artificial intelligence or something that i don't know but they have computer codes that can do that at a great level of granularity so you so you stack all of your opposition into one thing so that yeah they have a lot of people there but they can only elect one representative and then you yeah. spread the other votes around where they will you'll you'll just have enough to win the election but you can spread your electors all over the place it's a very yeah. sophisticated process uh, it seems really unfair california has, has set up a system where it's there's a, a committee that kind of decides how to make the the districts which you know i think that would be a better way of doing it but it, not about to happen in this state, I don't think. Yeah. Just one other anecdote that, that is kind of like the number of likes before Facebook knows you, uh, just in terms of uh, behavior modification, which you know could could be good, but clearly could lead in unhappy directions. The one thing I also learned recently was uh, 
Pokemon. You know, I, I played Pokemon for a while because my grandson got into it. And he was just completely nuts about it. So they were all, if I want to relate to this <laughs> grandson, I have to do Pokemon too. Mm-hmm. And, and I found after, I don't know, six months or so, something like that, that it was starting to run my life. That is, I would, I would walk across campus with, with my phone out looking for Pokemon. Oh, Pokemon Go on your phone. Okay, I yeah, played that. Pokemon it's Go. addicting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I found that it was. And, and mm-hmm. I think my, my grandson is still buying Poke cards and books and all sorts of things. <laughs> but I, I just had to drop it because it was yeah. just too distracting. Well, come to find out, that was all absolutely on purpose. And, and you know, Pokey whatever is a separate company at some level, but it was set up by Google. And it was set up deliberately as an experiment in behavior modification. What? And where the money came from was not from the, by now, they're, you know, they're selling these cars and my grandson's buying all that kind of stuff. But, but the money originally came from the restaurants who paid Google to be a pokey star <gasps> because Google could guarantee that customers <laughs> will flock to your restaurant if yeah, you're a pokey star. I would go to all the pokey stops. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. No, oh it kind of catches you out and, yeah. and turns your face red. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I you know I, I'm reading somebody else's book. I haven't checked this. Uh, I can't absolutely swear to it, but sure had a ring of plausibility. And and that kind of power. And, and again, it's done by a company, but it's done using this technology of artificial intelligence and things to learn how people behave. But setting out to uh, to deliberately cause people to do something. So if you're going to drive yeah. them into a restaurant in order to, you know, find a pokey stop, yeah. you're, you're just driving customers in there. And mm-hmm. that's bad enough at some level. But you can then imagine turning that into affecting the electorate and causing the vote this way or that way or the other because you're doing something. So you're not, you're not just counting the 200 clicks and knowing the person very well. The next step is to say, okay, I know that person and I know where their hot buttons are and now I'm going to steer yeah. it in that direction. Yeah. And that's where democracy starts really getting threatened. Well, one place. Facial recognition is, is another one. There's just all, all sorts of things that uh, are, are not. Yep. How do you it's not directly connected to democracy, but, but you want, we traditionally we've had some notion of privacy in a public situation. And, and now with facial recognition, uh, if they want to, they being whoever, mm-hmm. uh, can identify you out in a crowd at a protest, uh, you know, Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that's not necessarily directly anti-democratic, but it ain't pro-democratic, <laughs> I don't think, <laughs> pro-democracy. All sorts of things coming down the pike that, that we need to keep an eye on. Do you think that the legislators need to be looking at, like, you know how, like, Neuralink is, like, artificial intelligence, like, being connected already into, like, our brains? How do you feel about the Neuralink and connecting humans to artificial intelligence? Yeah, well, that's a big one. 
So, so that's under the general rubric of brain-computer interfaces. And, and so you know, we would like to understand how the brain works just because it's, it's an amazing thing and the scientific research takes you there. Um, but the, the, the ability to go in and, and measure brain signals and then interpret them with the aid of artificial intelligence. So you run these deep learning neural networks on it and you understand what that particular combination of firings means and, and then you can do things with that. So, so there's two ways to it. And does this end up having an impact on democracy? Uh, yes, it does. So bear with me for a second. Okay. So th they have done that at some rudimentary level. So you can wire animals, pigs, monkeys, people, and, and read their brain signals and interpret them with artificial intelligence and then use that to control prosthetics, for instance. Mm -hmm. So if you've got some, you can't control your arm, but you now take that brain signal and you feed it in artificially. And it's either your arm or it's a robot arm mm -hmm. or something. So you, you can do that. So it, it, is, it is effectively um, mind reading. Yeah, I did and see like the monkey playing Pog with his mind. Yep. Yeah, that yes. was pretty cool. <laughs> right. Well, that was that was ten years ago. Okay. And, and it's come on a long time. So you since. can do like a lot more now. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, you know, who knows where that might go? But I mean, you can control a prosthetic at the end of your yeah. arm, but you can send it over uh, uh, the internet and control the robot on the other side of the planet. In principle, oh, yeah. it doesn't have to be just something right in front of you. Once you've got yeah. the signal, you know what to do with it. Um, but hmm. but that that is uh, that is effectively mind reading. Yeah. You're, you're reading the signals from your mind. Yeah. Then the, the other half of that is, and, and this is even more rudimentary, but there are some research groups that have done this, is, is saying, okay, I know now what those signals are. I can feed things into your brain. And, and there's not, I think, active control of what you're thinking, but there are hints of that. I'm sort of steering people's thoughts or their dreams or something like uh, that and uh that's that's kind of scary that's mental telepathy and you put the two of them together you can now have one brain talking directly to the other and that's definitely telepathy like so the you and i could get rid of the microphones and we could just sit here thinking <laughs> and he's recording the brain waves and we need all this equipment you need a laptop because you got to run the ai on that um, but if you envisage where that might be going with the, the ability for one human to, to read the mind of and communicate to another one, so it's something you, people have dreamed about in general or in science fiction for a long time, but we're tiptoeing in that direction. There's no question we're tiptoeing in that direction. Then if you get to the point where, I, you know, who's doing this? Is it one person with another voluntarily or maybe it's involuntary or some big companies in between catalyzing it all and reading your thoughts and storing them away in case they need to sell them to a third party so where uh, what does that do to democracy i mean we um, we, we are thinking of ourselves as individual mm -hmm. creatures of free will that can make our own decisions and all this is going in exactly the another direction whether right or wrong or different but it's another direction my brain just goes to like the borg we're just we're all connected and yeah. we just become one big entity yes, yes. well the borg <laughs> is a nice image isn't it? Right. 
So it, it's not that this would necessarily go to the board, but it, it's not that it necessarily won't either. Yeah, I feel like that's, I mean, when you're talking about it, like, that's where my mind went. Like, it was just like to the board, like straight, just all yeah. connected and yeah. just mm, yeah. just one yeah. big Well, that's entity. why you also want to pay attention to science fiction. It will, it will plow that field <laughs> so you kind of know it when you see it when it's coming down the pike. Yeah. So I, I think there, you know, all this is, you know, I'm barely formed in my mind, but there, but there's lots of tendrils of this kind of stuff that will affect our lives in all sorts of ways. The very nature of what it means to be a human being at some level, mm-hmm. and, and so in, in terms of our narrower context of, of effect on democracy, then I would say yes, that, that there are potential, you know, really huge effects on how we think democracy works and how it's exercised what it means to be a person of free will. Yep. So I'm, I'm going to sit down with uh, Roger Williams and I'm going to explain all this to him. <laughs> See what uh, he has to say. Yeah, I would love to find out what he says, uh, how your interactions with him go, uh, if he's responsive I, to you I, or I'm, not. I'm bluffing. I'm, oh. I, I am not, not about to do that. First of you all, i got to get the book published so I have something to talk about. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, uh, Do you want to tell us more about your book? Uh, well, there's not a whole lot to say. I, mm-hmm. I start, again, I, I, I made contact with this agent who didn't like what I pitched and said, well, I'm interested in this other thing. So I, I've been working with her for two years now. Okay. Uh, not met her, met her on Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is, now I, I won't know until we do this experiment. I've never had an agent before. I published several books, but never had an agent before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends on whether she can end up selling the book and making a success out of it, and that test has not been run yet. But I've enjoyed working with her because she's very professional, and she'd say, you know, this is what we have to do to do this. Um, and I said, well, you know, I, you're asking me to do all this on spec. And she said, well, you know, I'm, I'm working with you on spec, too. I'm not getting the dollar out of this. Yeah. That's right. So, so I finished writing the book in a, a couple of years, a draft of it, and I'm fairly happy with it. It's not perfect but it kind of said what I wanted to say at some level and uh, and then she said okay you got to write this uh, author's questionnaire and it, it's it's an example of things a publisher will want to know from you um, what is your background what you know web presence do you have how many Twitter followers do you have how would you summarize what your book is about in one sentence in you know a paragraph per chapter, all this kind of stuff. And, and I did that, and it took me a couple of months to do that. And she says, okay, now we need to boil that down into a particular proposal. So that took another couple of months, to, and, and I sent that off to her, and she said, well, uh, Mr. College Professor, you're, you're writing like a pedant, <laughs> and, it's, and, and, it's, and it's overwritten, and you've got to shorten that down. These were particular uh, summaries of the individual chapters. And, and I was summarizing the chapter. She said, that's what you're This is, this is mm-hmm. a sales document. So you, you want to be able to hype every chapter, not summarize every chapter. Okay. I think I understand that. So I did that, and that ball's back at her court now. So I, I'm hoping we're nearing uh, the end of that iteration, and she will then go to some publisher or a bunch of them and set off this amazing bidding war. And, uh, <laughs> Or it will fall in a crack and nobody will hear it again. <laughs> no, it's, it's a very big step. And I, I, I think that she is, clearly she has put a lot of time into it. She's committed to the project at some level. Good, yeah. But 
there's a big step between where we are now and actually convincing a publisher uh, okay. to do it. And, and the uh, publishing business has changed so much in the last decade or so, and all mm -hmm. the big companies have merged, so they're just one company. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, whether somebody's a, a relative unknown like me can squeeze in there somehow. It depends on how powerful she is in an agent. Who knows her? Who does she know? And, and that we, we, again, I, we, we have not run that experiment yet. Okay. Um, well, I look I'm, forward. I'm, I'm hopeful, but I, you know, I don't know. I, in the back of my mind, I think I put in two years of two and a half years of hard effort. It could all just go. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to remain I'm optimistic for you, yeah. Professor Wheeler, and I Thank look you. forward I, to I when it comes that, out. Um, I just want to ask one more question sure, before please. we close out. Um, when I took your course, The Lives and Deaths of Stars, you covered. Um, I remember how much I hated that title. I don't remember that you. Oh yeah, that. first day of class, I would say my, uh, the faculty makes me use this title. It used to be called, <laughs> used to be called uh, cosmic catastrophes or oh, that's a good or astronomy bazaar. Uh, those are good but titles. They, yeah. they made me change it to lives and deaths of stars, which I just gagged on at this lack of poetry. <laughs> anyway, so that's well, okay. Well, I loved anyway, that class, I'm, I'm and I don't remember that. You did. I'm but I. I found it fascinating and you covered a bunch of different like theories of how like the shapes of the universe and I remember the Pringles shape. What do you think is the the right the model that we're in? Um, the, the best data we have now is that the universe is flat. Okay. So the 2D not, not to do my whole whole lecture, but, but flat <laughs> like a two dimensional surface like this table, but in three dimensions. So that straight lines would go straight in all directions and um, it, 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 it's a three-dimensional concept it's flat in three dimensions so if, so if you made triangles anywhere in our space or in, uh, they would add up to 180 degrees and, and in the other two shapes the universe could have they would not add up to 180 degrees so that's not how you do it but that's one way of thinking about it and you don't just have to draw a triangle table you can draw it out here in the space of this pub and it would still add up to 180 degrees so the best data we have is that's what it is but so it's it's composed of you know stuff like us protons and neutrons and dark matter that we don't know what it is and dark energy of which there's even more and we know even less of what it is <laughs> but you add all those up it says we have the right amount of energy to make the universe flat so we're a flat like a 2d picture like in that picture of the poodle dog up there like yeah, we're flat in, like that except in three dimensions okay yeah. yeah see that every time i went to your class i felt like my brain was like always yeah. blown i was like i don't understand yeah, but these are these are like you made it me understand but it's like these crazy concepts I'm like oh that's so crazy but like you made it make sense and the, this these one are, is still kind of confusing but they're very sophisticated <laughs> ideas and and that was my ego to try to bring that into class and make smart people like you have some <laughs> glimmer of, of what you know, astronomers are dealing with all the time. It, it's a, a, both an amazing universe to look at and an amazing mm -hmm. conceptual universe. So the, 
the ideas we have about it. It's yeah. a grand it's a grand story, and I love talking about it. Yeah, I there was never a time where I didn't want to go to your class. I was absolutely fascinated. I would like write on Facebook like, "Oh, Professor Wheeler blew my mind again." And <laughs> today. No, I should have been so, following you. <laughs> so <laughs> I was so happy. Um, I, I got an A in that class. It was a, a, the, the I took cool. two astronomy courses. I got a D plus the first one, and then I took yours, and I was just so into it and just like I didn't miss class, and I was there every day, and I paid attention, and I got an A, and I was so proud of myself. And you should be. every time I look up and I see Beetlejuice, I think of you because uh, I know you're like waiting for it to explode and stuff. Um, I just I really love to class. Well, and thank I, you so much I, for being I'm here. I'm honored. Thank, <laughs> thank you very much. This yeah. is this is why you teach to try to uh, get a positive reaction out of some people. Yeah, you changed Not everybody, my but. perspective on the world, and I appreciate you very much, Professor Wheeler. Okay. Well, you, you have changed my perspective on the world. <laughs> I'll think about representatives different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I may steal your phrase and put it in my book. Awesome. Please do. Now, now, that I know, <laughs> now that I know what the phrase is. Please do. Yeah. All right. Thank Absolutely. you. I think we're about out of time, so thank you so okay. much Absolutely for my being pleasure. here. Thank you. Good fun. <laughs> And that was our conversation with my former astronomy professor, J. Craig Wheeler. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find links to his books in the description box. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our Instagram handle is Salacious Platypus Pod. And on Twitter, you can find us at Platypus C. That's P L A T Y P U S S E A. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Anchor or Spotify to be notified when the next episode comes out. Episode four is going to be with Tommy Chong, so be sure to subscribe. And finally, I would like to say thank you. Thank you to our producer, William Sarver, for putting this whole thing together. Thank you to Eric Macias for creating all the music. And thank you to our intern, Madeline Sarver, for creating all of the artwork. Also, if you're still listening to this, thank you. Thank you for listening. Have a good day.